All right, good morning, guys. My name is Andy. I'm one of the pastors here at Restored. And I just want to say welcome. Uh, we're pumped you're here. It's January. It's the beginning of a new year. And it's the beginning of a new series for us. We're in week three of a series uh, called How, um, or called We Change Together. Uh, and it's about how we grow, or what theologians call sanctification, the process by which we are transformed uh, in, in the way that we become like Jesus. But it's not just a series about spiritual growth. It's about the role of community or relationships in the local church and how they can be used by the Holy Spirit to help accelerate that growth. So it's not just on growth personally. It's on personal growth spiritually, but, but, but how relationships around you can um, spur that on or even get in the way of that reality. And kind of the theme verse for the series is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And it says, we all, so there's a community piece. In Greek, you'd be like, y'all. All right, uh, you know, the Apostle Paul wasn't from the south, but uh, maybe the south of Israel. But we all, it's plural, with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord. That'd be the Lord Jesus. And we are being transformed into the same image, to the image of Jesus, from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so we talked about this in week one. I talked about um, intentionality in growth and this idea that if we are in Jesus, growth is slow, but it is sure. But we do have a part to play. And so I talked about intentionality, that growth, growth doesn't happen on accident. Last week, John taught on safety. Heard it went really well. Uh, super grateful for that guy, but he taught on safety. Um, and the reality that we can't grow if we don't feel safe. And so today what we're going to talk about is another aspect of how growth happens. And it's the idea of self-awareness. Self-awareness. And it's dealing with the idea that we cannot grow if we do not know where we need to grow. Um, Jackie and I went on a trip to Mexico two weeks ago. And, um, and we went on. By the way, we booked it way before the surge. And we took all the precautions the entire time. And we could not get refunds. So I... I just, I promise. Um, but that being said, we went on a trip, and um, literally the day we were get, I was getting on the plane, the Pope was condemning people for taking vacations uh, during the pandemic, and I was like, I, I thought it'd be, be different. Um, okay. Um, but, but as we went, uh, we went kayaking, and, um, and uh, we took a little kayaking lesson and, lesson, and we were working our way through a, a lagoon. And um, you might not know this about me, I don't kayak. Uh, I'm not a big water sports guy. If you look at my tan, you'd think I'm more of a water sports guy, but, but that wasn't the case. And, uh, and so I jump in, and I just, I've kayaked once in my life. I've canoed at camps and stuff. I'm like, I'll be fine. He's like, no, you kind of want to pay attention. Uh, and so um, in my arrogance, I didn't pay a ton of attention. And I quickly found out that I am terrible at kayaking. Um, over the three hours, I kept getting stuck in plants and mangroves, kept getting stuck. Um, on more than one occasion, I came in hot and crashed into another kayak. Uh, and I, didn't, I never felt like that's what was going to happen. I was like, I'm just catching up a little bit. Um, I could never get the tempo right. Like, um, whenever I would speed up, I would go way past everyone, or I'd crash into them, or I'd go way too slow. Um, and, uh, and then at the end of the day, I was just dog-tired because I had a really bad, inefficient stroke. 
Uh, so I did a lot, but I didn't move very far, okay? Um, and uh, instead of doing like the pop down and pull, I was just, you know, Donatello, Ninja Turtling, bow staffing out there, uh, which isn't a great stroke, just so you guys know. Now, um, I, I kept getting stuck, I kept crashing into people, and I was really, really tired. And I think if we're honest, my day of kayaking is often a metaphor for life. Definitely 2020 to 2021 life. For a lot of us, we're tired. For a lot of us, we keep running into people and we don't mean to. And if we're honest, a lot of us can feel stuck. We can feel stuck in our inability to love God or love others well. But here's the thing you need to know about my kayaking abilities. They have been bad for over 34 years. What happened in that moment wasn't the creation of a bad kayaking stroke. What happened in that moment was the exposure of a bad kayak stroke. All that changed that fateful day on the lagoon was my awareness of my need to grow as a kayaker. My inability to kayak in community was exposed, not created. Now, that exposure could be embarrassing and crush me. I'll never kayak again. It's too vulnerable. I'm a paddleboard guy. I also have a terrible paddleboard stroke, you guys. I get real tired. So it could be embarrassing or it could be empowering. My stroke is bad, but now I know and I can work on it. I can do something about it. I don't have to be a victim to a bad kayak stroke. I can make moves. I can get a row machine. Who knows? Post-pandemic lessons. Self-awareness can lead to growth, and that's what this talk is all about. But self-awareness is hard to come by because, uh, because of the fall and our finiteness, we are limited in our ability to see where we need to grow as humans. Um, this truth is demonstrated in something called the Johari window. Um, by the way, uh, I want to look at a picture real quick. If you guys have phones, turn to restoredUptown.com slash worships where the lyrics are. And whenever we have a visual aid, there's some slides there. Um, there's a thing there called the Johari window. Uh, the Johari window, by the way, it sounds really exotic. It's got a foreign word vibe. Could be Arabic, could be Italian. Uh, I'm here to let you know it is not exotic. Uh, there was a psychologist named Joe and a psychologist named Harry. And they put together this self-awareness tool. Uh, but uh, the, the Johari window, the Johari window, and it has four, um, if you look at it, it's, it's broken up into four quadrants, and basically it's about knowledge of self. And so there's knowledge of self, um, there's stuff that you know and other people know, there's stuff that you know, um, and, and um, uh, oh, I'll just go in order, right? So, so there's the open self, right? This is the stuff that you know and others know, right? Like right now in this moment, if you're looking at me, you know I have a black t-shirt on, and I know I have a black t-shirt on, right? Um, you may know I am the pastor of this church. I may know that you live where you live, right? So there's things that, um, they're not secrets. It's information that's pretty easily accessible about us if you spend any time with us. And it's stuff that we know about ourselves, okay? Um, there's another one on there um, that is the um, unknown self, and this is the part of you that is um, unknown to you and to others. It is only known to God, by God. God knows all of the stuff that you need to work on, whether you see it or not. He knows the roots of your brokenness, your dysfunction, your sinful relational patterns. He knows where it came from and how to get you free and, and when it's going to happen and what events in your life will be used by him to see you set free. You don't know that stuff, but that stuff's revealed um, sometimes through the help of like a spiritual director or a counselor. Sometimes it's um, asking the Holy Spirit. 
saying, search my heart. Kind of that Psalm 139, search my heart, show me what's in there. So that's the unknown self. Then there's the hidden self. This is the part of you that's known by you and God, but it's not known by others. And so this would be stuff like, um, it could be um, really not that big of a deal. It could be your password, uh, right? Or, or some of you guys, how many guys are a one-password people? Don't raise your hand. One-password one people would raise their hand, though. Right. Uh, I saw a stand-up comedian the other day who was saying every password ends in one exclamation point now, and I think that's true. I was like, how does that guy know? Um, so there's, there's a part of you that is, um, it's known by you but, but, but unknown to others. Your PIN number, it could be, you know, whatever. There's a lot of things that could get weird. Um, but there also are things that are destructive. There's uh, secret sin. There's addictions that you haven't disclosed to people. There's stuff that you know about you that others don't know but then there's this other part of you that is, um, it's the blind self. It's the space where blind spots reside. And this is the part of you that is known by everyone else but not you, right? Um, this is the part of you that, that's unaware um, of the way that you impact those around you. The fact that you are really intimidating, you may or may not know that. The fact that you seem to push people away, the, the, the fact that it's, it's the way you impact people emotionally and spiritually, right? It could be, um, again, in a very kind of innocuous, silly example, it could be bad breath. If you've ever had bad breath in your life, in a pre-COVID pre non-social distancing era, people knew, but you maybe didn't. It's always humbling. It happens to all of us guys. We all eat things, but, but the shame we feel, right? We're like, oh man, it was me. One time I told Jackie, I was like, I think that guy had bad breath. And she was like, it was, it was, it's you. <laughs> Although with masks, it's helped. You're more self-aware. You're like, whoa. <laughs> but, but, but all jokes aside, like, like at a real level, we impact people in ways that are way worse than our bad breath. Like we hurt people. Everyone on this lawn, unintentionally or intentionally, but the part I want to talk about is unintentionally hurt people without the intervening help of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Like you naturally, you love you some you. You don't love God and love others naturally. We love us some, some us, and we live that way naturally without the intervening work of the Holy Spirit through the gospel of Jesus. And so I have four quick points. Uh, two are quick, one's long, one's medium, right? I'm going to be honest. The first one is this, okay, and this idea of self-awareness tied to our growth that we change together. Number one, we cannot grow until we can admit where we are. We cannot grow until we can admit where we are. The best doctor in the world cannot treat you if you don't let them diagnose you. That's not an issue of their competency. That's an issue of our openness and trust. The best coach in the world can't help you get better at a sport if you can't agree that they can see things you don't. I mentioned this before, but um, on all of Clive's basketball teams, the kids that don't get better are the ones when the coach is teaching you how to shoot or how to get into a defensive stance. They go, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know, I know, I know is uh, I don't care. I got it. They go, I know, look. You're like, that, that's a terrible jump shot, buddy. I don't want to break your heart. I'm here to help you. But as long as you keep saying, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. And spiritually and emotionally, a lot of us can do that. Go, no, no, I, I, it's like, no, no, you don't know. You're hurting people. 
The best counselor can't help your marriage get better if you think you already know what's wrong with the relationship. And typically when you think, I already know what's wrong with the relationship, usually what you think is them. That, that tends to be this person when, when they can't receive from the counselor. The best diet regimen won't help us if we don't start practicing it and we won't start changing our eating until we usually admit we aren't healthy now. And it's the same thing spiritually. We cannot grow if we can't admit that we still need to grow. Now, some Christians will admit they need to grow, right? They'll go, I'm not perfect. I know, right? Like, I'm technically a sinner. Sin's out there. Every once in a while, it's, it's on me. Um, it, that happens. So, yeah, I, I, I've got places to grow. And you go, where? They go, uh, I mean, I, mean, I, mean it, I don't know, right? Uh, what are you doing intentionally to grow in that area? Oh, I don't know, right? So, so, so what I found is, is point two is true. Um, we're not good at seeing where we need to grow on our own. We're not good at seeing where we need to grow on our own. So while it's important that we cannot grow until we can admit where we are, um, at the same time, we are not good at seeing where we need to grow on our own. That's not always true, by the way. There are times you're just, a, you know, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, I'm angry. You're like very aware of yourself and what's going on. You want to explore that. But there's other times you're, you're not aware um, of how you impact people or, 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 or patterns that you have. Um, so we're not good at seeing where we need to grow. Again, we're often not as far along as we think. Uh, again, being on a plane a couple weeks ago, uh, looking at a screen, one of my favorite things is when you're flying and you can like check where you're at. And um, I've done a lot of long flights over the years, um, going to South Africa, going to Asia. And um, I have to say... Um, one of the most heartbreaking moments is uh, when you take a nap and you wake up and you're like, you can't, I can't wait to turn it on, the screen on. I'm like, we've got to be close. And then you realize like, oh man, we've made, it's been like an hour. One time Scott Stroman and I were on an 18-hour flight from Dubai to LA and I'll never forget it. Uh, there was mechanical issues and we watched an entire flight at the gate and we hadn't moved yet, and it was really, really heartbreaking. So it can be really, really bad. But, um, but for me, um, that moment when I, I always assume I'm further along than I am, and I often am woken up to the reality, oh, no, we still got 15 hours. Like, we've, we've not done 10. We've done three. Uh, also, we're not as good as we think we are. That might sound simplistic. We're not as good as we think we are. Um, there is a self-righteousness to us. Um, I, if you look at me, I think this goes without saying. I used to play football, Right? I'm an athlete, uh, it's clear as day, um, and uh, I used to play football in a, a very mediocre way, and one of the things that would happen, especially if you're mediocre, is our football coaches had a phrase, and the phrase was, the eye in the sky doesn't lie, and that was when you were in a film session, and your coach would show you, this is how you actually play. I know you feel like you're making moves out there, I know you feel like you're freelancing on defense, is like changing the game, it's a nightmare, look at it. Does that make sense? A lot of times we're like, no, nah, I'm pretty. No, no, no. You're a liability. And if it's due to your athletic ability, that's fine. Maybe you're not going to see the field. But, but if you're out there and you have the athletic ability, it's just your lack of discipline and your lack of mental awareness. You need to work on this situation. And oftentimes I think we need that spiritually and emotionally. Like, man, I'm pretty, I'm generous. I'm loving. I'm pretty loving, right? Ask the people around you, right? Like, like the, the, the eyes around you also. They can lie, to be fair. So ask a couple of people. Um, the people that love you, though, we can that in a little bit. Um, also, we can be, we can, um, we're becoming someone we aren't aware of often. And, and, and the reality is this, is that you can be discipled by Jesus or discipled by something else. Dallas Willard used to talk about this idea that we could be formed by, we're always being spiritually formed. You're never neutral. 
You're drifting towards Jesus and becoming like him and growing in his love, or you're, growing, you're moving away from him. No one who sits on this lawn is neutral. Like you're in reverse, you're in drive. Um, you're moving towards something, or you're moving away from something. Um, C.S. Lewis said this, he said, every time you make a choice, you are turning this, the central part of you, the part of you that chooses into something a little different than it was before. And taking your life as a whole with all your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing to a heavenly creature or a hellish creature, either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with others and with itself, or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. To be the one kind of creature is heaven, that is, it is joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us at each moment is progressing to the one state or the other. We often think we're trending in a direction that maybe we aren't. We need the people around us to help us see. And so, but if they were going to help us see, what would they point out? What would their evidence be? Right? Like, like if, you, if, if a doctor is going to tell you, listen, um, and I want you to think doctor's office. I don't want you to think of judge's chambers, okay? Don't think condemnation. Think diagnosis. But if a doctor were to say to you, hey, um, we need to do a surgery that's going to cost tens of thousands of dollars. We're going to cut you open. We're going to put you under high-stakes situation. Generally, you want a little proof, right? Like, it'd be pretty weird if they said that. They're like, look, we can't look at x-rays. It'll be fine. How much is this going to cost? Don't worry about it. You probably have insurance. Just show up at this day at this time, right? Um, you go, no, no, I want more information. So, so if someone was to come alongside you and say, hey, um, what's the proof of this thing that you're seeing? I think there's a couple different things they could point to. And so my third point is this. Our blind spots are glaringly obvious to others we are in community with. Our blind spots are glaringly obvious to others we are in community with. Our spiritual growth areas show up in three, kind of three spaces I'll talk about right now. Our patterns, our priorities, and our proclamations. Our patterns, our priorities, and our proclamations. And these are all easily observable if you're in an intimate relationship with someone. So patterns. This is what we do. There's this, in the New, there's this idea in the New Testament, actually in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament it's picked up upon spiritually the idea of sowing and reaping. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 to 9, I just love the dramatic prose. Galatians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul writes this about the idea of sowing and reaping, where we get the idea of patterns. He says, don't be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Verse 9, let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we do not give up. This is a spiritual idea. It's like the spiritual law of cause and effect. Sowing and reaping. If you would ask me, what am I going to look like spiritually in five years? I would have to ask you, what are you, what are you sowing right now? What, are you, what practices are you engaging in? Um, 
And, um, and again, I found this out. I, I've told this story before, but um, eight years into my marriage, my wife confronted me because I gained a lot of weight. And, I, and not like a little, like 70 pounds in eight years. And, uh, and here's what's crazy is I saw me every day in the mirror, and I didn't like think I gained that much weight. Like I might look at a picture from back in the day and be like, whoa, this has slid a little bit. You know, 70 pounds, no big deal. Um, it's like one and a half Olivia's. Um, it, it's, it's, it's significant. And it wasn't because I have like a health condition, like a thyroid thing. Like, there's people who gain weight for, for completely different reasons. Mine was a pure lack of self-discipline. It was, I was on the Calif- – there's the Mediterranean diet. There's the California diet, burritos, beers, and chilling. That was me, the San Diego diet. And what I found is that when I ate poorly and didn't exercise, I gained weight. It's a law and effect, right? Like literally you can, uh, you know, take out a, a weight loss or weight gain calculator and go, hey, if you eat this much per day, per week, per month, in three years, this is what, you know, whatever. It's, it's spiritually, it's not that scientific, but it's not that far from it either. If you sow to the spirit, you will see good things happen. If you work at forgiveness for a year, you're not going to be perfect, but I promise you, you'll have forgiven more people than if you hadn't. Does that make sense? Um, if, you, if, you, if you attempt to self-control, right? So, um, uh, so, so again, this idea of cause and effect, right? If you condemn people for not living up to expectations that you have never shared or that they never agreed to, you will struggle to have close relationships. That's a sowing and reaping. The, the, the relational cycles in, in your life will look similar over time. If you spend money you don't have, you will end up in debt, If you gossip about people, they will stop trusting you with information. If you jump into romantic relationships quickly and thoughtlessly, they probably will leave you more wounded than blessed over the long haul. It's the idea of of our patterns of sowing and reaping. I've got a quote from the man, the myth, the legend, John Dennert, author in the house, pastor extraordinary, says this, our lives are perfectly aligned to produce the results we're getting. And those results reveal what is true of us. Who we are comes out behaviorally in the ways we live, the way we love, how we spend money, the way we do conflict, our ability to sacrifice and delay gratification, and even in our aspirations. You can't constantly scream at coworkers and claim gentleness as a virtue. You can't think of yourself as generous yet never help people. Who you are, your ultimate cause, comes out in what you do, your ultimate results. Look at your pattern of behavior over time, and it will tell you what you need to know about yourself. That thing's intense. That's a thug life quote, John. I'm going to be honest with you. But it's accurate. What are our our patterns? Also, what are our priorities? This is the second thing that's observable. What What do we value? Matthew 6, 33, Jesus says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Luke 12, 34, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What do you give yourself to, your time to, your energy to, your money to? That shows you what you really prioritize and value in the teaching of Jesus. I remember I heard a a pastor talk about this once, a pastor in North County, and he would talk about um, the reality that parents would come to him all the time freaking out when their kids would go to college, and they would say to him, my kids dropped out of, uh, of church. Like, they, they go to college, but they're not going to church anymore. Like, I don't know about their faith. And, da, da, da. and he, said, um, he said, I could never say this to them, but what I wanted to say to them, which is why he wrote it in this book, said, I want to say to you in advance, is um, you're getting exactly, they're prioritizing exactly what you prioritized. Um, and he said, for a lot of these people, I would watch how um, 
there was always something more important than the worship gathering in, this, in the family's life. It was sports tournaments. Um, it was a house project. It was, you just didn't feel like it. it was, you would co- often plan trips or social gatherings. Um, during, you know, you'd miss one or two gatherings a month. And basically what you taught them was is there's, if anything more important than gathering comes up, you bail on gathering. Gathering is not the priority. Um, it only is if, if something better doesn't come along. And again, not talking emergencies. We're talking pre-planned lifestyle uh, stuff. And he said, then they get to college, and he said, what these kids would do is what they've been trained to do. They'd go, I have a final this week. I have, I have something important. There's a party. That girl's cute. Maybe we could get married some days. Seems important, right? And, and so you've discipled them into a way of life. You've, you've settled them into a set of priorities, and they live out of those priorities. And for many of us... Um, being with and becoming like Jesus actually isn't a priority if you looked at the details of our life. Because here's the thing about those parents. None of them would have said, I'm teaching my kids not to value the local church. Does that make sense? Like if they're following, they would go, yeah, no, I'm into this. Um, but, but, but the way that they lived said that. I don't think many of us who are here, we're in the heat, outside, no kids ministry, airplanes, wild tech situations, longer sermons than you want, on and on and on. You're probably not out here. You're probably not like, I hate Jesus. That's why I'm here today. But does the fabric of our life say that that's true? Do we worship Jesus and our priorities will reveal what we worship, right? What are we willing to sacrifice for? That's what you truly prioritize and worship. I was in a conversation recently with some guys about um, the length of sermons. And, and uh, we're talking and, and, and I said, um, I think that there are times when we go way longer than we need to. I said, I think there are also times where it's a complex topic that you can't do justice to. Uh, under like 50 minutes. It's a complex biblical cultural idea, whatever. I said, but what I do want to push back on is that people have lost attention spans. Because if you look at a lot of podcasts, we're looking at two to three hour podcasts that are popular. Um, I have plenty of people tell me, man, I'm not really a reader. And they read fantasy football blogs nonstop. So the issue isn't reading, it's, it's what do you care about? What do you prioritize? Last but not least, um, and I would just say we can all pay attention to what we prioritize. Uh, last is proclamations. It's what we say. If someone was observing us, what would they, you know, what would they say we prioritize? What would they say our patterns are? Um, but what about our proclamations? And here's what I mean by proclamations. Um, what we say reveals who we are and where we need to grow. In Luke chapter 6, verse 43, Jesus says this. He says, a good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. Frigs aren't gathered by uh, thorn bushes or grapes picked from a bramble bush. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in their heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in their heart, for their mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart." Have you ever uh, said something in a heated moment and then said, I didn't mean to say that? Anybody? Um, Paul Tripp, he's a biblical counselor. He says, when we say, uh, I didn't mean to say that, what we really mean to say is, I didn't mean for you to hear me say what, was, what I was saying in my heart. I meant it. It just came out. And so Jesus says, as our words betray us, the things we talk about reveal who we really are and what we're all about if your words are full of anger and bitterness, 
Spoiler alert, you might be angry and bitter. I've been in conversations with people. I had a guy one time go, I'm not bitter. I'm like, whoa. I'm talking at a two, you're at a nine. I just asked one question. Betrayed. He was betrayed. If your words are full of um, bragging and competition, like you might be proud. Do you find that every time someone talks about something that's going on in their life, you have a better one-up version of it? Um, you, you might be proud. If your words are harsh towards people, you probably aren't kind. If your words are spent villainizing leaders at your job or in the church or in the government, you might have problems with authority if every boss or leader in your life is an idiot. Have you ever met someone who every leader in their life is an idiot? Just me, I guess. No, you go, oh, man, this is actually consistent, right? There are bad leaders, but every leader is bad. It's amazing. Your principal, your youth group leader, your senior pastor at your last church, your boss, your new boss, da-da-da-da. If the words you quote most often are by um, political commentators and not gospel-informed resources, you may be moving towards politics instead of Jesus as your hope. Again, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What do you talk about all the time? What do you, you know, might be what you're obsessing about. If your words are all about money all the time, you might be struggling with anxiety and greed. On and on we can go. No matter what our words reveal, they reveal... Um, who we are, and where we need to change. And our community experiences our word, which means they can help us grow if we'll let them. So if we have the courage to let the community speak truth into our lives, we can grow. By the way, we all need this. Again, I said this earlier. Everyone here hurts people unintentionally. Everyone here doesn't move towards Jesus on accident. So do, do we have the courage to ask the following questions to those closest to you? The other day, we asked uh, Clive and some of our other kids. We said, can you tell when me or mom are anxious? They all were like, oh, yeah, no problem. They actually had impersonations of us that they were making each other laugh. He's like, Dad, uh, you're anxious. When you get anxious, you yell. You apologize, but you yell. It's like, Mom, she just starts going fast, just breathe, you know. And, uh, and I was like, whoa, you guys. Uh, and, uh, right? and again, we were impacting our kids that way, whether we knew it or not. If we're going to grow and change that reality, we had to ask for feedback. It's humbling to do. But here's the thing you need to know. You're impacting people that way, whether, and they know it. The shame is, now they know. They already know. And so there's a safety in asking. But it is very hard to ask these types of questions. Um, and by the way, um, if you're going to ask these questions, what you need to do is write it down and don't defend yourself and pray about it for a week. If you're going to defend yourself, don't even ask. Uh, this isn't a debate. It's how do you experience me? They might experience you a certain way because they're ridiculous. That's fine. But you need to just ask that question first to even discern that thing. But, but a couple questions. Um, number one, um, what, would you assume my biggest what would you assume my biggest priorities were by what I talk about and give my time to? Like right now, as you look at my life, is that Jesus? Is that something else? If so, what? And, and what makes you think that? Another question that's really helpful. Uh, a mentor of mine, a guy named Steve Cussie, he uses this one. He says this, how do you experience me? A lot of married couples have never talked about this, but they should. How do you experience me? What is my upside? What is my downside? What is hard about being in relationship with me? 
Again, many of us don't have the courage to ask these questions because we worry that what we might find will crush us. We worry that what we find will define us forever. We worry that we'll feel hopeless and powerless to change. And so the question is, where can we find the courage to seek out the truth and the security to not be crushed by what others tell us? Because here's the thing. If you're protecting yourself from feedback and from the truth of others, you're protecting yourself from self-awareness. Again, you're just not getting better. You're not growing. Like you lose in the long run. Does that make sense? Like you're going to be, you're taking you into the future. The community might not always be going with you. And so you lose out. Which leads to my last point. Number four, only when we are grounded in the love and security of Jesus in the gospel can we courageously look at the truth that we don't want to see. It's the only way. The gospel says that you're so bad that Jesus had to die for you. You're outed, the cross, Jesus, brutalized, naked, you know, nailed to a cross, says you're so bad I had to die for you, but you're so loved I was glad to die for you at the same time. The gospel is the reality that God reconciled you to himself even though you didn't deserve it by sending Jesus to live the life you and I could never live and die the death that you and I deserve to die. He rises again in victory to prove he paid our penalty, which means there is no penalty left. There's just invitation. There's just grace. All of us walk around going, man, if I was fully known, would I be loved? I'll never be fully known and fully loved. The gospel says you're fully known and loved at the same time. It's not if you got your life, to better, life together, then you'd be loved, or I'm loved because you don't know the real me. It's I know more about you than you know yourself. I've got a whole quadrant God says about you. You don't even know. You're way more jacked up than you think, and I love you the whole time. I love you more than you love yourself, and I know you better than you know yourself. Peter Scazzaro describes it this way in the book, The Motion Healthy Church. He says, going beneath the surface of our lives can feel as if we are walking on a tightrope 50 feet above ground without a safety net below. The gospel is like the safety net. It alone gives us the foundation to take the risks of stepping out onto the tightrope in order to explore our inner depths. The gospel says you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe, yet you are more accepted and loved than you ever dared hoped because Jesus lived and died and rose in your place. A great exchange takes place where you put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ. God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Guys, that's good news. You have a new identity to live in, a new security one gal described her, her journey of internalizing the gospel this way and how it set her free to grow and what was true about her. She says, over the years, I've been helped to embrace the truth of the gospel and to be freed by it. One lovely image that affected me as a woman is of Christ's righteousness being like a glorious wedding dress that makes me utterly gorgeous to God. As I meditated on the truth that because of Christ's sacrifice, I really am holy in his sight without blemish, free from accusation, like Colossians 1 says, the truth of the gospel began to touch me on an emotional level. Friends, if you let the gospel touch you on an emotional level, if it's just abstract, it will never change you. Don't tell me I'm not the emotional type. We all get emotional about something. Whether it's loud or internal, we get, have you let Jesus touch that space? I'm not talking about emotionalism. I'm saying when truth has penetrated your heart. By the way, I've obviously close quoted on this gal. I'll get back to what she said. 
I am perfectly loved and accepted by God because of Christ's life, death, and resurrection for me. I can come out of hiding. I remember coming across a passage in Isaiah 62.5 that says, As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. My first thought was, can this really be true? Does God really love me this passionately? Then I remembered that because of Jesus' death, I have become his beloved. The cross is the foundation of which I can base my whole life. I am utterly loved to the core of my being. My God adores me in a personal, emotional sense. The knowledge that I stand before God as his beloved because of Jesus has freed me to explore. Hear this real fast. Because of Jesus, this has freed me to explore some of the disturbing and dark aspects of who I am. I can face the truth that I have a problem with control, for example. I can reflect about it honestly, pray about it, and talk to others about it freely. I know that my control issues and all my other sin patterns don't surprise God or threaten my standing with him. Your insecurities are worse than you know. Your brokenness is worse than you know, but it doesn't threaten your standing. He's like, I know, I want to change you. Jesus call, or God calls me his beloved because of Jesus' flawlessness, not mine, because Christ's righteousness is the foundation of my identity, of my self-concept. I no longer have to keep up appearances with myself, God, or anyone else. And friends, what I want to say is, is this space, when you live at this space, you're ready to grow. Nothing can crush me. I'm more than a conqueror. I am in him. I'm united to him. I can look at all the bounce checks because I'm, you, I'm a co-heir with Jesus. I have infinite riches in Christ. I can look at the ways I failed because he didn't fail on my behalf and he can transform me to, to not fail in the future. Again, I love this picture of the gospel as a safety net. Whenever I start pastoral care with someone, I often tell them this idea, this idea of the safety net. I always say this, there's no blind spot that's going to emerge that Jesus didn't already die for. Like, whatever you find, there's already a cure for. It's almost like a medical exam where the doctor's like, whatever you have, I have the cure. It's safe. It's safe to, to, to look at what it is. There's nothing the Holy Spirit's going to bring up to condemn us or shame us. Satan condemns. We condemn ourselves. We condemn each other. The Spirit goes, I want to set you free from condemnation so you can give grace to others. He only, bring things, he only brings things up like a doctor that we might be healed. He brings things up to set us free from guilt and shame, not to settle further into it. And so I want to close. We're not going to have a, a Mario, do you want to come up um, just to strum? We're going to, um, you guys, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you can sit out.